Uh, it's awfully good to be together. Uh, and I know there's some folks here who are visiting and really thankful that you're here. Uh, and then those of you who've been with us each week, uh, we continue this morning uh, looking at the habits that really uh, hamper us from the joy that God made us for. And I want to start this morning, uh, for those who are visiting, uh, as well as for those of us who've been here each week, with a brief review. We started with the first habit of the chronically unhappy, which was ignoring, uh, excuse me, uh, not being willing to change. That's the first habit. Uh, we went on after that to consider our second habit, which was the habit of complaining. Uh, the week following, we considered our third, which was the habit of isolating. Now, I've heard from some that these have been very pointed and personal. It's possible, though, that you don't struggle from any of these three. Uh, week after week, you've been here thinking, I've got that one, I've got, I'm fine, I'm fine. I have got you this morning. <laughs> so tell me if you can see yourself in any one of these three. Okay, and I'm gonna just show you real people. Okay, a tourist, a manager, and a spouse. And we'll start with the tourist. A man is walking up the slate path from Witherspoon Street toward the academic buildings at Princeton University campus with his girlfriend. He has a crumpled piece of paper in his hands. He's walking mad. He's looking down at the paper and he snaps at her. I don't know. I told you. It's my first time being here too. That thing in his hands is a map. It is before smartphones. They move toward the shadows of a covered archway. Inside, there's a student sitting on a bench, enjoying the shade, and he sees this sad sight and then speaks up. Excuse me, sir. I can help you find your way. And the man looks at him and snaps. I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm going. And he grabs her hand and they walk on. That's the tourist. Here's the manager. It's after lunch. He's walking down the hall. He glances in the office of one of the people who he manages. There he is playing solitary at his desk. His job is not to play solitary. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and their eyes connect, and as soon as their eyes meet, it flashes through his mind. His sales numbers were bad again, just like last month and just like last year. If things don't change, there's going to be problems here. But then, as he thinks this, he also thinks, but he's so nice. And everybody likes him. And he is awfully sensitive after all. And there are other things for me to take care of. And so instead of saying anything, the manager smiles and nods and keeps on walking. That's the manager. The spouse. She's sitting alone in the living room, reading the book that she had stopped reading three minutes earlier when he came home from work. Again, he walked into the living room as if she wasn't even there, didn't say anything. She tried to speak up, but it went nowhere. He turned angrily and went into the kitchen and began to unload the dishwasher. Have you ever unloaded the dishwasher angry? Yes, bad for the plates. She tells herself, he never sees me. And it's never going to change. But you know what? That's how it goes. No big deal. And she goes back to reading her book like she has been doing for months. Well, he moves away like he's been doing for months. Now, all three of these figures 
are in different places, but all three of them have developed a strategic approach to dealing with their issues, which puts them on the same exact path. And it is the path of ignoring problems. And it is the easiest path to get on, and that's why we get on it. Because there's less resistance just accepting it or not saying anything, or pretending that everything is okay, then admitting you need help, then addressing the problem, then saying it's time for a meeting. And so we get on the path of pretending there's no problem, of ignoring what's really going on. And what happens on that path is it always leads from bad through comfort to worse. And I wanna tell you why we're addressing this together in a church. Okay, we could talk about this problem anywhere. But the reason we talk about it together in this place is because God himself has made us to be people who walk through life brave and confident, who face the challenges which we will inevitably face and even will face because we choose to follow Jesus without running away from the problems that are around us, but instead confronting them in his power and strength and overcoming them so that we can thrive. And that's what God wants for us. And not just for us, not just so that we would be doing better than the people around us, but because when those who follow Jesus thrive, they become the agents of his work in the world. They build his kingdom and the world thrives because they have learned not to walk away from or pretend that nothing's wrong, but instead to confront those issues which will inevitably ruin their lives. Do you know that ignoring problems really ruins life? Do you know that? I will tell you that not only does it ruin lives individually and, and, and the lives of families and companies, but it ruins churches. Do you know that sometimes churches develop this habit of ignoring problems? If you don't know that, you've never been in a church. And I mean it. Many of us will have known from experience over time that it's easier just to ignore it. It's easier now, but it always turns out worse later on. And what I want to ask for you to do with me this morning, uh, whether you're here each week or this is uh, just a, a, a passing thing for you to come by, uh, what I'm going to ask for you to do this morning is to be willing to see yourself as we share together. And I say that because if it is indeed one of the issues you deal with, that you ignore problems, I promise that as I speak, you'll be thinking of the other people around you who ignore their problems and not yourself. And I know this well. You know why? Because I do it. Yeah. yeah, I'm serious. I'm writing this sermon. I'm thinking, oh, this person needs to be there for this part. And this other person, they need to hear this one. And then God's like, hey, you. Hey, stupid. You need to hear this. And so that's the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to listen for yourself. Yes, there are people around you who also should hear this, but you must hear it. That's number one. And then here's the second thing I'm going to ask you to do. And this one I ask you to do as a man of faith. Okay, not everybody shares my convictions about what God is like. But believing what I do about God, I will challenge you to not only listen for yourself, but to listen with truth and with grace. By truth, I mean be honest. God wants that for us. And God has power when we're living in reality. That power is much less effective when we remove ourselves from what's real and try to live in fantasy. So listen with truth and then listen with grace. And here I get to invite you to do this because of what I believe about God in Christ. And that is that 
Jesus has come to rescue us. I'm going to let out the end of this sermon right here at the beginning. We can't actually help ourselves, uh, really. We can do that because God invites us to be active in addressing our problems with the power that he gives. And so you will listen in grace this morning. If you have a problem that you've been ignoring, and as I've started to talk about it, you already feel anxious, I'm telling you, listen with grace because that's how God has come to us. He's come to deliver us. And, and he's ready to do that if we'll be open. Agreed? Yes, agreed. All right. Here's how we're going to begin. We're going to be begin with a very simple consideration of how it is practically and mechanically that people ignore their problems. Okay? And I want to tell you right off the bat that it is a part of our physiology that we are made to ignore things. And often this is helpful. Here's my example. I'm looking at you and the nose that is in, on my face, and you're looking at it now. There it is. It is in my field of vision, but I don't see it. And I can kind of see it now because I'm talking about it. But that's because my brain has adapted to edit out this thing which is not especially helpful for it and make it as if it's not there. That is, I am physiologically designed so that my body ignores certain parts of reality which are unhelpful, and that is good. And you're made that same way. And you can practice this by just looking down and then kind of doing that. And you're like, oh yeah, there it is. And when you look up, you'll see your brain is, is editing it out. And that helpful thing, which is a part of your physiology, is adapted by the unhealthy parts of you. The part of you that hasn't learned to deal with anxiety. That isn't yet strong with the, the emotional strain that everyone faces. That has learned to pretend that part of you it, it co-ops that helpful biological phenomenon and turns it into a way that you ignore problems which start like a drip, drip, drip from a water faucet but inevitably end with a flood. Or problems that are like a little fire that is burning in the office that you just walked by and there are other fires that you have to pay attention to but before long, ignoring that problem lets it turn into an, 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 an inferno that you could never manage. Do you know what I'm saying? So here's how we do it. First, we ignore problems by denying that they exist. That's number one, denial. I'm walking with a map and I'm obviously lost and I tell someone, I don't need help, I know where I'm going. Denial. Uh, he's asked, how are things between the two of you? In his mind, he thinks we have no affection in our lives together. There's no intimacy in our marriage. We never talk to each other except when we're fighting. But what he says, is, oh, things are fine. And he tells his friend that just like he tells himself that. And he's begun to believe it. Denial. Okay? She drinks a bottle of wine before dinner even begins every day. And then she has a few drinks with dinner. And then after, it's a few more drinks. And her brain edits out all of the empty bottles in the recycling bin week after week, just like the nose on her face. There's no problem. Denial. Do you see it? It's heavy, isn't it? I'm, I'm telling you it's heavy because I know that addictions ruin people. Many of you ha have lost loved ones to addictions that were problems that were ignored. Some of you are in the midst of it now and it feels really heavy. It is heavy. Would you forgive me for bringing it up? I'm going to tell you why I do. I care too much to let uh, problems like that go unspoken. Yes, we have problems like that. We may deny them. 
Eventually, denial doesn't work, and so we go to the second strategy, and it's this. Distractions. YouTube. Do you know what YouTube is? You haven't found out about YouTube yet? <laughs> At any moment, you can distract yourself with a world full of whatever you want to see. Do you want to see surfers in Hawaii? Go ahead, I do that a lot. Do you want to see Cookie Monster sing Chocolate Rain for the 1,000th time? <laughs> Has anybody else seen that? No? Well, I am afraid I might have piqued your interest. You might watch it and waste some time, but there you go. There's every kind of opportunity in your digital world. News sites that just say the same thing over and over and distract you. Uh, Make-believe social life on Facebook or, or with your Instagram or whatever you use. There is the endless and incessant managing of your own image before other people until you believe it yourself and just keep yourself distracted. And these are all obviously unproductive, but those of us in here who don't do that, I guarantee you, you find a way to distract yourself with productivity. Another hour at the office. Oh, why not? Let's stay till after dinner because there's a really important project I'm working on. Never mind that she's at home all alone or that he there again is by himself. I have work to do. I have another book to read, another activity to throw myself into. There are endless ways we distract ourselves from our problems once denial starts to break down. And when that stops working as effectively, we move on to the third, which is distortion. This is the narrative that goes on in our mind in which we lie to ourselves to distort the truth to avoid it. Do you know what I mean? You say, it's not that bad. Everybody else is kind of like that too. And then, and then it might shade off from there to these kinds of statements, which are distorted statements. You know what? You don't deserve any better anyway. Of course life is miserable. That's what it's like for everybody. Just get over it and accept it. And don't try to address your problem. It would never work anyway at all. These are distorted narratives which run in our mind and keep us from moving toward our problems and push us away from them forever. When that starts to finally also break down, and it happens where I, I'm not able to deny it anymore and the distractions are starting to wear off and, and the distortion is just too great, we move to the last one and that is to dissociation. And dissociation is a fancy word for saying to break off or cut off from completely. This is when life gets to the point where we, our minds do this, where they actually edit out large portions of reality as if they're not even a part of our own lives. It happens in small ways that aren't necessarily bad when you're driving home on the same road and you realize I haven't seen the road for five minutes. That ever happened to you? You don't admit that too loudly. Nobody's gonna wanna drive with you from now on. <laughs> but yeah, right? But that happens when relationships become too much. It happens when social life weighs down on us and we just cut off. When conflicts with family become too great and we just edit those people out of our existence. When debt is piling up, there it is. The bills are getting higher and higher and at the same time, we're also spending more and more and, and our minds are able to keep those two apart as if they're unrelated. That is dissociation. That is a place where many of us end up in relationship to our problems so that we don't face them, so that we ignore them. And when that happens, we are on a path of ruin. Now stop thinking about we and think about yourself for a moment and I'll do this too. Where are you ignoring problems? Uh, where are you saying, oh, everything's fine, and it's not? Uh, where are you giving yourself to 
pointless activities or overactivity in this area to distract yourself from what you need to see. Now, where are you telling yourself lies? It's okay, it's supposed to be like that. And where are you splitting things off? And let that come into your mind for a moment. Now, Jesus wants his people to be confident and brave and to go toward their problems and address them so that their lives are not undermined and weak and ineffective, but so rather they're men and women who walk with confidence and strength in life, even as their problems are still there, who become beacons of light and hope for people in a a dark and hopeless world. And he wants that for us. And not only does he want it for us, he actually equipped his own followers for just that kind of facing of their problems. Some of you will know Jesus' teaching well. Isn't Jesus a great teacher? Okay, if you've not encountered him, you might not know this, but he was a magnificent shaper of the minds of men and women who would come to him and say, show us how to live. Uh, if, you, if you don't know this and you want to discover it, I invite you to read in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of the things you read will be confusing, but there will be other moments where you see this teacher showing the paths of true life and it will help you immensely to learn from him. That's what I want us to do now. Uh, Set aside the reasons why we avoid and let's learn together from Jesus. Sound good? Okay, here's the scenario. Uh, Jesus was with his followers and knew that as real men and women, they will be inclined to ignore their problems. And one of the problems that Jesus knew always comes up with people following him together is that they tend to say one thing but then do another. They tend to speak an awful lot about being kind and good, but at the same moment, they do mean things to each other even though they all belong to him. Does anybody else know this? Yeah? That in the church, people do rotten things to each other. Is that a big surprise? You don't want to say it too loud if this is your church because your people... It happens in churches that we do wrong things to each other. Yes? Yes. And what Jesus did in this one area is teach his followers how to address problems like that. And here's what we're going to do. Together we'll see what he taught them about how to address problems like that so that we can, from his teaching, lift a principle for how to address any kind of problem, whether it is in the community of faith where people do things wrong to each other and ignore it, or at work, or on vacation, or anywhere else in the world, in your living room, in your kitchen, where your life unfolds. The, the, the teaching that I want us to look at is in Matthew chapter 18. And some of you will know this uh, text already because you've lived it. But in this moment, Jesus, as he teaches his followers is forming them for how to address the issue of one church member sinning against another. Uh, If you don't know the word sin, it means to do something that is against God's design and it happens in communities of faith that people do this. And so Jesus taught his followers how to deal with moments like that and we're gonna read slowly and lift steps for us on how to address problems. In verse 15 of chapter 18, here's what Jesus says. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. I'm going to stop there because that's enough for a few very helpful lessons. He goes on, but if we stop there, 
Already we have some steps that apply to what happens when people in the church sin against each other just as they apply to other areas of life where we have problems and we might want to ignore them. Okay, here's the first thing in what Jesus says is in this phrase, sins against you. You see it there. Jesus envisions a future for his followers in which one person will do something wrong to another person. And wanting to form his followers so that they don't run away from their problems, he begins by telling them, if someone sins against you, and that is Jesus' way of very directly saying, lots of bad things will happen. This is Jesus' way of saying this right here. And this is the first step which we can lift from it. Name the problem. Sins against you is a name for one problem that happens. And what Jesus wants his followers to know is that if you will make progress in becoming people who avoid the habit of ignoring your problems, the first thing is that you have to be willing to name what's wrong. Whether it's a conflict in the church or a problem in the office of one of the people who you manage or the fact that you don't know where you're going, you have to learn first and foremost to say, I am lost. I need help. There's something wrong here with what's happening with that particular employee. It's not okay that we never talk to each other. It's just not right that there's no intimacy between us. It's not okay that you are consuming so much alcohol day after day after day. That's step number one in facing your problems is naming the problem. And it's scary and hard to do this sometimes. And if you're already thinking, oh my gosh, I have to plan a meeting with that person that I manage tomorrow, don't stop listening. You might have to have that meeting. But the first thing is you have to say there's something wrong. Okay. I'm going to give you a second of silence and let you say that to the thing that it is for you. A f fear and shame is going to keep you from saying it, but it's okay, say it to yourself. Okay, once that problem is named, when Jesus' listeners are ready to say, okay, sin happened there, here's the second bit in that one single sentence. It's in, a, it's in that one word. Did you see that word that comes after the comma? It's right there. Go. Jesus knows that when one person does something wrong to another, it's very easy when that happens to retreat from the problem and go off and find somebody else who listened to you and tell that person about how awful that other person is and then to do a high five as you think of how rotten they are. You've done this? I have. I admit it. It's a terrible thing, but it happens. It happens in the community of faith that someone does something wrong and instead of going to them, as Jesus advocates here, we go away from them and we find someone else to just share in that misery about. And we pretend it's not there and we just go on and on and on and we ignore it. It happens again and again. We see that person over and over. They're doing that same thing. It's bad for them. It's bad for us and the people around them, but we just move away. That exact same phenomenon happens in all kinds of problems that end up ruining us because we ignore them. Instead of going to them, as Jesus says, we move away from them. And so here's the second bit of guidance from Jesus is to move toward the problem. Now, I already know that there are problems which are too strong for you. I know it that you don't have the power to move toward. Okay, I get that. Trust me, at the end of this message, I'm gonna show you that you don't have to go at it alone. But for now, after you name the problem, you have to decide with Jesus' guidance that I'm gonna to move toward it. That I'm gonna actually go and do something about it. 
that I'm not going to give in to the temptation, not only of denying it, but distracting myself from it. I'm going to turn the computer off until I do this thing that will help me move toward it. And Jesus wanted his friends to do this because he loved them. He wanted them to move toward their problems so that they would be okay and thrive together. It's exactly what God wants for you personally and for us all together. Now, what about when we move toward it? Uh, here's the third thing. Uh, Jesus' uh, teaching goes on to say, as he does, point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Now, this is very particular for the issue that he's envisioning, but imagine it and you'll see the principle. He knows that when one person has to tell another person that something wrong has happened, there's a high probability that there'll be defensiveness and hurt feelings. You know that, right? And he knows that our impulse might be to wait until there's lots of other friends around and then bring up what that other person has done wrong. Has anyone ever done that to you? It's awful, right? Sometimes it happens with your friendship group. Sometimes it happens in churches where one person who's self-righteous humiliates another in front of a large group and it's dreadful. And Jesus is the lover of all people, of the people who have done the wrong thing and, and, and should feel wrong about it. And he loves even the ones who shame and humiliate people in the wrong way. But what Jesus is teaching here is when you go toward your problem, do it in a way that has tact. Do you see it? Look at it, approach with tact. Because if you say to someone, hey, you did this thing wrong with everybody else around, of course their feelings are gonna get hurt and they're not gonna be able to listen and they're going to become defensive and it's not gonna do any good. But if you're tactful in that particular problem, you could make progress if you sat with that person alone. And I want you to take this idea that you should approach your problems with tact into whatever problem you have to face. Okay? If it is that your spouse and you are so utterly far apart and you know now you're thinking as I was quiet that I have to admit it and I have to go to them, listen, do not wait until you're having another argument to say, hey, we need some work together. It's not likely to be helpful. Don't wait until you're in a fight to say, hey, there's a few things I wonder if you'd be willing to do for me. I mean, that's going to break some dishes. Don't wait until the whole staff is together to say, hey, I want to point out something about your performance lately. That's not going to work. And, and listen now, I know already, I know it. I know that half of you are like, okay, this will help me at the office and this will be good. Maybe I can't have that conversation. But there's another half of you right now who are thinking, oh, if he only knew how magnificently heavy the problem that I face is, he would know why I ignore it. It's too much for me. And he wouldn't get up there and tell me that I have to face it. And so, yeah, I know. I, trust me, I know. I've been, I've been in the place of, of facing my own problems that were too much for me. And I've also walked with many men and women over the years, young and old, who faced problems that were beyond them. And even in this, in this particular passage here where Jesus is teaching his friends how to deal with sin in the community, he already anticipates this truth, which is that there are many problems which are too great for us. Okay, watch what he says next. After telling them that they should go when the two are together, he envisions that that person will listen and that will be a great thing, but then he also anticipates the possibility that it won't work so that in verse 16 he says, but if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you. Now again, he goes on, but I want to stop there. Jesus knows 
that if you face a problem which is too much for you to handle on your own, you always can reach out for help. You can. He made us like that. And this is a, is a fourth step in how to go toward and, and work through uh, problems instead of ignoring them. It's to bring help. Uh, whether it is a conflict between you and one other person where the emotions have gotten so high, there's no chance that you're going to be able to broker peace. Bring someone with you. And let me say this to us as a church. If someone messes up and another person is, is at odds with them, let's decide to be peacemakers who are gracious and truthful and who are willing to be asked to come in and help so that we don't have to face the misery of ignoring problems which started as a drip or as a small fire and then end up sweeping us away like a flood or burning everything up like a conflagration. Would we do that? And then outside of that, if it's not just that, if it is that you need help at work, or if you need help with your marriage, or if your problem is you have such a, a deadly image of yourself that you've been distracting yourself from it with some addiction that's ruining you, can we agree here to not only ask for, but be asked to help? Can we agree, agree with that? We need that. And Jesus here teaches it in this one simple area, but you should apply that to every problem you face, which is that you should bring help. And this is a secret. Nobody, nobody can do it alone. The person who thinks that he is self-sufficient is dead wrong. The woman who thinks that she is independent and able to thrive by herself, and that is a sign of strength, has bought into an illusion that will ruin her and leave her all alone and a wreck of a mess in problems. But on the other hand, the man who has learned to say these simple words, I need help. The woman who can say, I can't do it. The group that says, we don't have enough strength. The church altogether, listen to this, the church altogether that is honest enough to say, of course we don't have what it takes. We don't have the strength. That is a gathering, that is a man, this is a woman who's not in a bad place to admit that, but who's in the very best place because Jesus the master who made you and knows you and loves you more than you could ever ask or imagine knows that you are not made to walk life's path alone, that you are not meant to fa face the challenges that will inevitably yours, be yours by yourself. He knows you can't do it and he doesn't want you to labor under the illusion that you must do it. What he wants is for you to be brave and confident and face your problems, the ones that start as a leaky faucet or a small fire so that you don't get consumed and ruined by them. But he knows you'll never do it by yourself. And listen now, this is my favorite part. I get to tell you that you don't have to do it alone and you weren't meant to. And you don't have to because God himself promises to lend his presence for every man and every woman who does these two things. Are you ready? Who first and foremost is willing to say, I need help and I'm choosing to trust you. Have you ever heard this phrase, you need to believe? And a lot of times that sounds like you have to make yourself say that you think something is true which is not true or that you have to have faith. Sometimes that phrase is used in the same way. What that means is you must choose to entrust yourself to the power which is greater than you. You have to trust God. And if you're willing to do that first thing, and here's the second thing, if you are willing to trust him and go toward your problems instead of running away from them, there is a promise for you, uh, which I have the, the great privilege of sharing, and it is this. You ready? That God himself will be with you in your problems. And there's no problem he can't manage. 
And here, I get to read this. This is one of my favorite uh, words from the Bible. And as I read this, the musicians are going to come forward because when I'm done, we're going to actually sing the faith that is expressed in these words. This is Isaiah 43. Uh, and, and, and mark it and read it another time. But there the prophet who knows that God's people are languishing in trouble and knows that they're inclined to avoid their problems because they're too great makes this promise. Look at it right here. This is 43 verse two. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. And that is God's way of saying, if you're willing not to stand at the edge of some challenge, the flood has come because you ignored your problem. Okay, now it's a flood and a river. Not when you stand back and watch it will I be with you. Do you notice? It's when you pass through the waters, then I will be with you. And you will not be overwhelmed by them. And that is God's promise to every woman who's ready to say, I let this go long enough. It's a raging river, but now I'm gonna trust God's promise and I'm gonna go right through it and he's gonna be with me. And he will, and you will not be overwhelmed. And to every man who's ignored what he should not have ignored and it's turned into a fire, now and you will definitely be ruined if you're at it alone. You can trust God's promise here which says you go into those flames and I will protect you. I will hold you and I will make it so you do not, you are not overwhelmed and burned. You will be protected and you will face the problem and you will persevere. Friends, God is inviting us. Uh, I, I in his name am, am inviting you but he himself is inviting us to to stop turning our backs on what's back there that's out of control and turn and face it. No longer denying that there's an issue to turn and face it and then move toward it. Listen, we cannot do this by ourselves. We need each other. Now, the connect groups which Paul mentioned are critical for that reason. We need each other. And we have the promise of the divine presence which is greater than any trial or problem we'll ever face for us when we move toward our problem. And that is worth singing about. And so we're going to do that. We're going to sing about God's gift of bravery for facing our troubles. Let's pray together. God, I pray very simply that you would indeed make each one of us brave. And not brave in our own strength, but open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see the great power that you've given to us to face every problem that we face. God, we want to be made strong ourselves so we know joy and all together, we want Renaissance Church to be a church that is strong in facing its problems instead of ignoring them so that we can be what you want us to be. So that as a community together, we can be a great gift in this world so that we can be light that shines on you so that people who are far can know you. They can be rescued from the greatest problem, which is to be separate from you. God, would you use us for that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is such a joy for me to be with you. I say it because we get to be together like this. And that's a gift. We good? All right. Listen, here's what I want to tell you. In 10 minutes, we're going to uh, celebrate communion together. Uh, some of you uh, are not going to stay, and others of you will, and I hope you will, uh, to join in that meal together and to celebrate what God has done, especially as we, rem as we remember how Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was poured out. Uh, this I want to tell you about next week. Uh, next week, we take a break 
from looking at these habits for a very special reason. Rob and Nancy King are a couple that some of you know because they were really here at the beginning and helped start this church many years ago. And they're going to be moving on. God has called them to a new adventure in life. And we want to celebrate what God has done through them together next week. And so they're going to share and then we're going to celebrate together. And so I invite you to come ready to to really magnify God for the gift that he has worked through their lives. And then after, there'll be a tea and a time to talk uh, next week. And so I invite you all to that. Uh, And then between now and then, here's my calling to you. It's very simple. Be brave in the power of God and face the problems that you need to face and trust him. All right, God bless every one of you for the week ahead. God bless you.